listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. Hosted by high-stakes headhunter, author, and professional speaker, Scott Love. Hey, this is Scott Love, and thanks for listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. This episode is on the topic of who do you need to meet? And you know, we're actually going to interview the author of the book, Who Do You Need to Meet, in person. His name is Rob Thomas. Now, Rob is an expert on that topic, and he's going to tell his story and how he came to build that body of knowledge, that expertise. But more importantly, this is going to help you grow your practice. And isn't that what we're always looking for? We're looking for that next idea that's going to help us open up a door and make an introduction, make a connection to someone that's going to ultimately lead us to a client, which is what your focus should be as a business developer, as a rainmaker. Now, Rob is a fantastic resource. I'd recommend connecting with him on LinkedIn and also visiting his website, Rob Thomas Global. And as always, this episode is sponsored by Leopard Solutions Legal Intelligence Suite of Products, Firmscape, and Leopard BI. Push ahead of the pack with the power of Leopard. Thanks for listening, and I hope you get some great ideas from my conversation with Rob today. Hey, this is Scott Love. Thanks for joining me on the Rainmaking Podcast. Our special guest today is Rob Thomas. And Rob, our topic is who do you need to meet? So first, thanks for joining us on the show today. Thank you, my friend. It's an honor and a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And so I like the topic of our discussion today, who do you need to meet? And let me start with this. Why is that a compelling question that professionals need to ask themselves? I worked at the Chamber of Commerce in New Haven many moons ago. I was in the sales office. And before people or after they would give me their application and their check, way back when, I would ask them this question. I came to it because if we always ask each other, who do we want to meet? Well, I want to meet the singer Rob Thomas or Michael Buble, right? Right. Or who do we or what do we want? I would like a Pagani or a Bugatti. But when it comes, right? So when it comes down to need, however, especially in business, we're talking about money. We always want to talk about relationships, yes, but let's be real about this. We're talking about cash in our pockets, supporting our family, paying our mortgage, car bill, et cetera. So the idea about the need piece is that if I'm introduced to an individual who can really kind of connect me and or pay me, that kind of satisfies that piece. I always say meet, this was pre-pandemic, of course, but now that we have recovered out of this, supposedly, it really is about the interpersonal communication. Although we can do it on Zoom like we are today, it's really about understanding whether or not this person can help us or whether or not this person really likes us. Right, right. So let me ask you this, and I'll preface it by saying this. I think that LinkedIn messaging, that's become my new spam box. I think people, they're like, well, I want to meet Scott Love, so let me connect with you so I can sell you something. And immediately when I get that sort of approach, you know, I'm not going to connect. I'll remove the connection. How do we keep that from happening? We know that we have people. We just want to reach out. Wouldn't it be best if I just call them, introduce myself? You know, what, what are some of the strategies And what do you recommend and what are some of the pitfalls associated with this whole process? Well, so it strikes me it's a generational thing, right? So Mm -hmm. I've got a 23-year-old and a 17-year-old who will refuse to get on a physical telephone. They refuse. (laughs) Dad, I'm not speaking to you unless you call me first. (laughs) 
They'll do messaging through Instagram, or maybe if I'm lucky, they'll text me. So, okay. So that's a generational thing. So that's why my son isn't calling me back. It's well, <laughs> well, either that or, you know, as my second son's about ready to go to college, they only really call you when they need cash. <laughs> so, but the thing about it, it's a very good point because my LinkedIn coach who happens to be Mark Halpert has taught me about not letting people in the front door of your house. Yeah. And people are finding us out there and they're spamming us and scamming us. I do something which I've always been trained ever since I telemarketed at the very beginning of my career, 30-something years ago, whatever. I will click the button, thanks for contacting me, I'm not interested. But I'll also report it back to LinkedIn. And Mark tells me that LinkedIn does look at that when you click the I don't know Scott Love button above that message. They do Mm. look at that because we're not alone. We're not the only people out there that it's doing it. Okay. So back to your question, however, I think this gets to what I teach people. If you're going to use LinkedIn and if you are connected to that person, maybe a second or third link, you're obtaining permission from the first person and then you're going to click connect and it always says add a note. You must always, without fail, always add a note. And the note must also be personal with a name drop that you've gotten permission from the other person. Now, there's a young lady who started an app to kind of systemize this, which is fantastic. However, Mm. LinkedIn is a free open source kind of software. So hers is not at the moment. Anyway, you know, Todd, I wanted to reach out to you. Scott Love said that I could do that. And he said that you would be a good connection for me. I'm currently looking to network and Baba boo you get about, I want to say it's 300 characters, might even be 600 for that invite, leave an email and a phone in the note, and then hit send. I believe the success ratio for doing that kind of personal personalized note goes up 75%. Mm, interesting. That's a good so strategy. That, that's kind of where I, I focus with this LinkedIn messaging, spamming inbox, because it's, it's really become frequent, you know, I would say, the last 90 days. So let me ask you this. When we go back to the question, who do we need to meet? If we're all in business development, and this obviously is a show on business development, so everybody listening, they are, whether they're a professional B2B salesperson or a partner at a law firm or an up-and-coming associate that wants to build a book or another professional service provider, who do we need to meet? We need to meet those people that can hire us for our services. Is there another strategy where we might meet those people who can introduce us to those people. It might be kind of a little bit less direct, but so for example, if I'm an attorney, I might want to meet an accounting firm that can refer me to people that have a need for my professional services. What do you think about that? Are there other strategies besides No, absolutely. And so what I teach my clients who happen to be executives, a piece of my business, is that they need to leverage relationships that they've currently got. However, if they don't have those relationships, They need to leverage those associations or, believe it or not, chambers of commerce, Mm -hmm. because I'm a full endorser of that product and that philosophy, where they've already currently have those relationships. So an example would be, I've got a client who really didn't understand what it was that I do or what it is I do. And I said, David, so you're involved in this certain community as part of this business that you have, I assume you're part of that chamber of commerce. He's like, no, why would I do that? I mean, you know, I'm a high level IT company. I don't need to do that. Okay. 
So let's together, because we were on the phone, let's together look at the directors of the board for said chamber of commerce, which, you know, you don't need to be part of. We looked at it together, and among all the superlatives, he said, there were three different companies that were directors of the board for that chamber, which were her, his clients, excuse me, that he did not know. Oh, interesting. So they are contacts that raised the right hand that said they would be directors of this very successful, most chambers are a million, two million budget. They said they would be a director. And those individuals of the companies who his company was servicing and they were paying him, he did not know those individuals. So at the, the get-go, he was like, well, I need to meet Susan, who's part of that bank that happens to be one of my clients. And that started the ball rolling. The same occurs in any kind of association or legal association as well. So another client from Canada that I have, same idea. He wasn't necessarily part of the Chamber of Commerce, but he's part of an engineering society or association. He didn't know any of those people. Yeah. Now you have a list of 10, if not 20, who are out there that have said, I've raised my hand and not only have my company give thousands of dollars to this association because I sit on the board, but also when I raise my hand, it's an ethical integrity play that I will respond to any member that asks me for advice, questions, yeah. mentorship, whatever. Right. Nobody, nobody looks at that angle of associations. They're scared out of their mind. Even high executives. Yeah. And that's what so, I teach people to kind of focus on. That's great. Let me ask you this. I had a couple of other questions that came out of this. We look at different groups. You mentioned chambers of commerce and you mentioned trade associations. Are there any types of groups that we could get in front of or at least try to, and I've got some other questions related to how to do that, but what would you say? How would you categorize different groups that we should look at joining where maybe our prospects or potential referring partners exist. What do you think about that? Well, it's got to be, let's say, vocation-specific. So your audience may be accountants and or attorneys or in business development. So there's a whole kind of swath there that we could focus on. Let's talk about attorneys. Obviously, they want to be part of either the local, regional, state, or could be regional, regional for a couple of different states, legal society. Mm -hmm. They want to be recognized as a name as part of that, not only in being a member, but working towards kind of connecting with the top of that association yeah. and then maybe being a director on that board. Of course, it's a volunteer effort, sans the money the law firm's probably going to kick in to have their name in lights as part of that association. Same holds true for an accounting society. Now, for sales or business development, it's a little different, a little more wonky. However, Maybe it's topic or industry specific. So take my example of my client in the IT industry. Are there different IT societies or associations? I have learned, Scott, that there is an association for everything. Yeah, that's association right. for the General Nose Picker Society of America. You <laughs> know it exists. You know right. it exists. I haven't Googled it yet, but you know that exists. <laughs> so Joining a group where your colleagues, industry colleagues are, I think that's a great idea. One example of what you're talking about, about six years ago, I joined. I, I was on the, a member of the National Association of Legal Search Consultants and then joined the board and joined it. It's a three-year term. 
And at the end of the three years, I was able to run again and I ran. And now our term limit is approaching in a few months for me, where sadly I'm going to get off the board. And it's a lot of work and it takes a lot of time. But I noticed that when you develop a reputation among your friendly competitors, I think that adds value to your overall reputation, even with your client prospects. But what do you think about that? Becoming known, kind of like what you're talking about within your own industry. among Well, absolutely. And so the kicker about it, and we could talk a little bit about business development and sales. When younger in the profession, we are scared out of our mind to communicate, if not even collaborate with other salespeople that might be in the same industry because they're the competition. So we've always got this competition ick when we're salespeople. It took me, as as an example, years to get over myself, Mm -hmm. as well as the fact that they could be co-opteurs. They could be salespeople. You know, my client just may not like them, but they may like another person I introduce them to, or they may not be my client. And guess what? That company doesn't like me. They just yeah, don't yeah. like fat, bald people who look like George. There's just, they don't like me. I have to get over myself enough to understand that they just don't like me. They're never going to come out and say they don't like me. Yeah. But through my system, I help people develop a little bit about how we can get to that delta so that we can get it off the table and look at, they didn't I, like me. Okay, let's move on. So what are some of the pitfalls that you've seen most professionals fall into in terms of building that network, in terms of answering that question, who do I need to get to know? Who do they need to meet? Or who do they need to meet? You're right. (laughs) They bang their head up against the wall, as did I. When I do my presentations or talks, let's say, I talk about how I've done this already. I cannot speak about any of this stuff unless I've done it already. And Mm -hmm. I'm banged my head up against the wall. That's how I lost all my hair. In terms (laughs) of always chasing the rabbit who never, ever wants to call me back, email me back. We're just chasing and chasing. So the suggestion I make to professionals is you may chase or follow up with that contact three times in 90 days. Okay, good. The kicker is that all three follow-ups must be different. You could do a phone call. Yes, phones still exist. You can actually leave a voicemail too. Those still exist. Mm-hmm. An email or maybe a social media message. Plenty of different ways to follow up. The right. best, however, is going to be a handwritten note. Oh, yeah, that's great. You don't see very many of those, do you? You don't see them at all. And I endorse the handwritten thank you note as well as other things. But if we're we're doing this follow-up and we're chasing, we want to really get in front of that person, we can do the kind of triangulization of through our network, hey, could you tell them to give me a call? They might rarely get back to you because they do like me. And they'll be like, you know, Rob, um, they don't like you. They they don't want to deal with you. They think you're pushy (laughs) and they don't like you. Okay. Well, now if we're finding them out of my network, I can move on. And that helps my mental stability as well, because then I don't think that I'm chasing this rabbit all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one thing I've noticed with thank you notes, and every time someone sends me a handwritten thank you note, I don't throw them out. I have a drawer full of them. Do you think that's common? Am I weird that I'm I'm actually keeping those mementos? No, in the last seven years of my business, I've kept them all. 
with the hope that I'm going to take them and plaster them all over my wall, <laughs> take a picture, and then make that backdrop kind of for my my backdrop and my picture. Now, my photographer, right. John D'Amato of New York City, has said, that's a great idea. Love to see that. It's going to take you six million years to take <laughs> all the notes and post them up. But that would be a great idea because people don't do what you and I do in terms of saving them. Yeah, one thing I've done is whenever I meet somebody who is a really good prospect or one person helped me do something, a secretary, helped me get on the on the calendar with somebody that's a key, a key contact, and I'm sending her a thank you note on the back of one of my watercolor paintings because I'm a watercolor artist. And if you're on video, because we're going to put some of these videos on our YouTube channel at some point, Rob, you know, you can see that. But And I found that that's something that's helped me if a group books me for a presentation, the person that referred me there. I'm going to send them a nice little handwritten note on the back of something I created uh, with some of my clients I make placements with. I send them that. And I, and I found that it's a way to kind of really build and strengthen that connection. What are some other personal ways besides a thank you note that people can kind of have a personal touch in terms of really building those connections, Rob? So I do the handwritten thank you note, and I've got my own kind of set that I have, and that's my first off. But then the question came about, well, you've sent them a handwritten thank you note and has your name on it. That's great. What if you see them again? What are you going to send them the second, third, fourth, or fifth time that you see them and you really want to thank them? This is about thanking them for their time. Yeah. So I have been, for the last seven years anyway now, a distributor for send-out cards or what I think is more commonly known as promptings or uh, Cody Bateman is the president and CEO of this company out of Salt Lake. And he was a copier salesman 16 million years ago. And he said, enough is enough. Why can't I just send you a thank you note, but make it more of a heartfelt kind of thing. So I send a creative card that I'm able to uh, create with a couple of brownies. Oh, that's and, great. That's a nice and you, touch. And you'll be the recipient of it if you're still at, at the certain address that I found on your website. So that's great. you killed the whole surprise. So thanks so much for that. <laughs> but, but what I do is that's what I do because now, not that I want to be known as the brownie guy per se, I need people to remember me a little bit more than just yeah. the thank you note. Because the ROI and the thank you note, they don't have it. They're not going to send me an email saying, oh, thank you for your thank you note. It's never going to happen. <laughs> right? So I needed something to kind of get a res- elicit a response. Though I wasn't booking the appointment, I needed some kind of ROI response for that investment. That's a $10 investment. It's a nothing. Yeah. But it's about a 98% return rate. That's a great idea, Rob. I will get always some kind of message, and that'll be phone, email, text, carrier pigeon, something that says, hey, thanks so much. I really loved them. I wasn't able to eat them all, so I gave them to my kids or I gave them to my wife. And all I ever reply now is fantastic, enjoy. That's it. That's great. That's a great idea. And I had no idea when I did it, I was like going to get that. I'm not sending you Omaha steaks, but I am sending you something. I just need that little hmm for you to remember me well, of course. So let me ask you this question. How do you think COVID changed networking? And what are some of the trends that you're seeing currently in the, the time that we're in, where we're able to meet in person, we're able to continue to build those relationships face-to-face. My business did the best during COVID. Yeah. And because before COVID, people would do the diner meets and get together. And in March of 20, people froze. 
and they absolutely had no idea what to do. I had to be speaking at Zoom uh, chambers or Rotaries or Kiwanis clubs once a week minimum during all of what we'll call 2021 pandemic because they, they just didn't know these simple kind of things. And most did not think that they could even do this virtually over yeah. Zoom or Google Meet or WebEx or whatever, which right. you can, because this is about really investing and in doing good research on the people that we're trying to meet. And just because we're two-dimensional here, still have a microphone and good camera and such, but the idea is that we have to put in the effort and the time. Most people just froze. They just right. froze. They were catatonic. I and, found... And I was even brought at, in, I'll just finish. I was brought in to say, okay, you could be catatonic, but it's not that hard. You just yeah. book the meeting and do it half an hour and you're good. So Rob, you've shared some good ideas with us. And I especially like that brownie idea where here's something a little bit different. And oh, that's such a great, that's such a great concept to really sink in that remembrance of you through food, you know? Yeah. And what as we kind of bring things to a close here, if there are three action steps people can take to really implement some of these ideas and get started on this? What are those recommendations? What would be three action steps our listeners can take? So my system has four, but I'll give you the first three, which are to identify exactly who it is you need to meet. So identification process is critical. Be like it, by name. Well, be it either an existing contact, let's use LinkedIn as a guide, those different contacts that we want to convert over to better relationships. The second is to really maximize that relationship. How are we going to do that? Now, diners are not that prevalent all over the USA or the world, but sadly, coffee shops all over the place can be. The goal is to maximize that relationship. And what are we going to do about that? Are we going to just show up and say, well, so how do you like your pancakes? No, there's a certain questioning kind of philosophy that I teach so that people will have a productive engagement. Mm. And then finally, really to your three pieces is, well, let's refine our network for those whom we really either don't know well, don't want to know us well. How do you find that? Or you know what? Doesn't make sense. They just don't make, so we swipe them out of our network. I gave a talk years ago where I had a, a lady in accounting firm and she came up to me and she ran the whole accounting office, you know, in Hartford. She's like, I, do, I swipe them out. I can't swipe them out. I, <laughs> I, I said, Melissa, it's not like you're killing them. Okay? You'll find them somewhere else. Have them follow you on social, but you don't need them in your LinkedIn network right. to, to stay. Yeah, so those yeah. are probably the three. Refine out those different contacts. Again, Social media has been able to play the part to be able to follow individuals. We don't have to necessarily connect with them. Let's just follow them. They can follow yeah. us. And that way they can be part of the ecosystem. But, you know, we don't need to have a ham sandwich with them. Yeah, this is great, Rob. I like the fact that you're making it priorities in terms of action steps to accomplish that goal of who do you need to meet? Right. And so tell us about your offerings. What is it that you do that you'd like for our listeners to know about you? And then we'll also put any links that you want us to on the show notes. So everybody that's listening, you can connect with Rob Rob by going to the show notes. Terrific. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And I appreciate the opportunity to be able to speak. All roads lead to robthomasglobal.com, 
where people can hire me to speak to their audiences, be it either business or associations. So that's one of the first pillars of my business is I do keynotes as well as workshop talks. The second really talks about from that as a derivative of teaching those different executives, be it either sales leaders or actual C-level executives, specifically how to network now. I met with a CEO last week, and he really wanted to learn a little bit more. This is a CEO of a very successful utility in the area, and he wanted to know more about how to really do this because during COVID, he let it lapse. Now, of course, he's a president CEO, didn't have time for that, but we're talking about having me help him in terms of an engagement about how to network better. This is not brain surgery. I do not teach neuroscience, <laughs> but I do I do teach certain specific things to try and put into play as a process to help people do it more effectively. It was the biggest struggle for me. Yeah. I had sales managers for years saying, oh, just go ahead and network. But you know what? Never going to be productive. You're just wasting your time. You're just spinning your wheels. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to change that. And that's what I've been trying to do in the last couple of years. That's great, Rob. Well, thank you for sharing your ideas with us. We're going to put all your contact information on the show notes. We'll even put your LinkedIn profile link on there. Thanks for being a guest, Rob. Thank you so much. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate the honor. Thank you for listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. For more information about our recruiting services for international law firms, visit our website at attorneysearchgroup.com. To inquire about having Scott speak at your next convention, conference, sales meeting, or executive retreat, visit therainmakingpodcast.com.